I'm Aaron. This is Paul. This is Wayne. And this is Tim. Well, good morning, fellas. Hello. What a glorious Saturday it is today. I tell you what, we have fought long. We have fought hard for Saturday. Oh, yeah. It it was a slog this week, guys. That's all I'm saying. It was a slog. (laughs) You know, It, it was a rough week. Long. Yeah. And I woke up this morning and I'm like, ah, you know, I'm supposed to run. I'm going to go for a run. And I got outside and I'm like, it's hot. I'm like, why am I doing this? I hate everything about this. But it's over now. So now I can enjoy my weekend and talk comics with you guys. Uh, I have a horrible week coming up, Paul, because, you know, my my workout schedule has flipped from working out after work to working out before work. I've become you, Paul. I'm working out in the morning yes. at 5.30 a.m. That is, there is, that is so critically wrong. Welcome to the world of going to bed at nine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have to say, I at my old job, there was a gym in the building. So I, I, would, would, kill, I would kill for that, by the way. Yeah, it was incredibly convenient. And I would find when I would do that, when I would go to uh, hit the gym before going up... It really wakes you up. Yeah. Makes oh, it yeah. Easier you feel great to, during uh, the day. Yeah, especially if you know you've got a really long meeting early in the day. Mm-hmm. Hit the gym before going up, and you're much more awake. But, well, you know... Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, your days of watching those 10 p.m. dramas on FX, that shit's over. <laughs> you're watching them the next day. <laughs> well, you know, generally what causes me to have to uh, cancel gym time is having to work late, right? You know, some, some, somebody screws up a report or, you know, data comes out late and, you know, you still got to hit your deadline. So, uh, you know, we've experienced that plenty of times on Knights of Rainsboro. Um, so, you know, I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to be a little bit more consistent uh, about gym time because, you know, I w- the day won't have started yet to uh, preempt my uh, my going at 530 in the morning. And I'm thinking that maybe this is what we do with Rainsboro. Maybe we start recording Rainsboro at 530 in the morning. I'm awake. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get you after your run, Paul. <laughs> and we'll pr- provide some sort of intravenous uh, caffeine to uh, Tim and Wayne. There you go. <laughs> I'm sure the energy level won't be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> And you can guarantee my sobriety at five thirty in the morning. I'm just saying. <laughs> can we really? Can we? Well, can we it depends on how much I had the night before. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, Aaron, I have a surprise for you. A surprise? I love surprises. I'm gonna read something to you. Oh dear. For the first time ever, the beloved crews of the four Star Trek incarnations, the original series Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager, will be pitted against one another in IDW's mind-blowing comic book series, Star Trek, The Q Conflict. Debuting in January, this epic six-part event features the writing team of Scott and David Tipton, with art by David Messina. When a dispute between godlike beings threatens the galaxy, it will take all of Starfleet's best captains to stop them. James T. Kirk, Jean-Luc Picard, Catherine Janeway, and Benjamin Sisko must go head-to-head in a competition rigged by the arrogant Q and his nigh-omnipotent cohorts. So I guess it's fuck Captain Archer then? That was my exact (laughs) thought, because that's one of my favorite Star Treks. Isn't it really, though? Like, I mean, seriously, (laughs) F that guy. Well, and and the crew of the Discovery, I'm assuming, because that's, in theory, the same universe, the Prime Universe. Yeah. Well, you know, fuck that guy. They, they well. To be fair, they said it'll take all of Starfleet's best captains. Oh, yeah, for, yeah, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> anyone. With, they're like, if you have less than seven seasons under your belt, you are not one of Starfleet's best captains. Right. So that would disqualify Captain Kirk. Oh, fair, fair. He only has three yep. seasons, but I guess you could you could factor in the movies and all the novels. Ah, true. Okay, and the animated series. So uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm still going with fuck them for leaving out Archer. <laughs> they could have left out Jadeway. I saw the uh, Archer. I saw the preview cover art uh, this week. That looked pretty hot. Oh, so it's not a surprise. I thought I was no. surprising you. No, Paul, you're not surprising me. Well, hell. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm excited about that, actually. I, I mean, I will probably pick up, I'll pick up the first issue in January if I, I'm, 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 I'm going to check it out. If it's all the best captains, why isn't the Orville on there? Ah, just, snap. I'm surprised no one's picked up the uh, the Orville for, for comic book consumption. 
Maybe maybe they wanted to make sure it got renewed for season two first. That's probably fair. <laughs> well, guys, I am angry. Angry? Angry. Uh, you, owe Rangy quarter, you owe me a quarter. That's my thing. Oh, yeah. okay. Ragey well. Red Paul. <laughs> well, you know, so Greg Capullo uh, posted last week on Twitter, and he said, the, he said something like, you know, the embargo's over. I can now tell you that I have a Swamp Thing story with with Brian Azzarello coming to one of those 100-page giants. There's going to be a Halloween, a DC Halloween special 100-page giant released this Sunday at Walmart, exclusively at Walmart. And I'm like, fuck, because I have never actually seen one of those in a Walmart, ever. <laughs> Like, I really want that. I want there's a Brian Michael Bendis um, Batman story. There's uh, a Tom King Superman story. And now this freaking Halloween Greg Capullo Swamp Thing story. And I want them. I have I have like six Walmarts in my area. I have not seen these books in a single one ever. You know, I only go to Walmart like once or twice a year. And one of our semi-annual visits was uh, about two weeks ago. I couldn't find them. I, I couldn't find. I couldn't find the comics. I don't know. I don't have any idea where they were. I was looking on the magazine aisle. Mm -hmm. They Ooh, say I, they're I, where I, the t trading cards are, but like most WalMarts, at least that I know, they've either moved the trading cards or gotten rid of them. So I yeah. have no idea where these are. I yeah, know where I they are in the Walmart near me. The trading cards and stuff. And the only comics I've seen there are like bagged stuff that are like never anything new. Yeah. So it's very, you know, DC is, you know, they're they're touting the success of this program. And maybe this maybe it's because they're available in more populated areas. But I mean, we I legit have from where I'm living, probably about six Walmarts within a 20 minute radius. And I have checked all of them and never seen it. I think you can order that stuff online, though. I don't like you can order so. it from walmart.com, I thought. Oh, really? I mean, that would be helpful because it's it's rather frustrating because I, I genuinely want to check these stories out. I'm, you know, the, the Tom King, uh, Andy, or I think Adam Kubert Superman story is something I, I have a great deal of interest in. But, you know, I just never see them. And, you know, for I don't like I don't like it whenever someone does a Walmart exclusive anyway. Because Walmart is so shoddy about putting things out early yeah. or not putting things out until months later. And, you know, they're, they're just not they're not the program or the, the the business that is going to support your exclusivity and your embargoes and street dates and things like that. So for all yeah, I, I know, this Toys is already available and sold out. I guess Toys R Us was the company for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, did oh. you hear? I, I I heard that they they backed off a of bankruptcy and they're going to yes. try and uh, reinvigorate the brand. Yeah, I heard they were going to be reopening, but I don't know what stores are going to reopen and where because a lot of the their previous stores have already been taken by other places. Yeah, you know, like there, how many Halloween shops did did we add to the world? You know, <laughs> <We've>, <laughs> that was actually one of my first thoughts. Was uh, one of the ones nearby is a Halloween shop, and it's like. Yeah. Well, that's only seasonal, so maybe they can get the building back. Yeah. Uh, well, I think, um, you know, in a lot of Party City, or I guess the company that owns Party City that also owns Spirit, you know, a lot of those Spirit stores will be converted to Toy City, um, which will be a seasonal toy store, um, you know, to, through the holiday season. And, you know, Party City's getting in on this game. They're like, well, maybe we can make some toy business, um, you know, for, for the next couple months. So... Um, that is really cool. I hadn't heard that. And that kind of is exciting because I like going in toy stores and looking at things, you know, even though children, I hardly ever... you like looking at children. <laughs> no, I, I like looking at toys. Oh, OK. <laughs> I hardly ever bought anything at Toys R Us, but there was one like two blocks from me and I was in there all the time looking, especially when they started doing the collectible toys. Like they had a whole section of statues of comic and anime characters and they had uh you know like 80s nostalgia toys and i loved looking at them i just never bought anything which is probably why they went out of business it's because they were overpriced that's exactly it i mean you go in you find something really cool it's like that is awesome now i know it exists that i can go buy it on amazon for a fraction of the price yeah. right right but you know what i think if toys r us had because 
people would say the same thing about Barnes and Noble, but they're still around. I think, you know, and not to make this a Toys R Us podcast, but I think part of it is that, you know, Barnes and Noble has a strong online presence and, um, you know, they, they, they try to keep up with the times and maybe Toys R Us just didn't. Um, so I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm regardless. I'm looking for, I hope they come back because Target and Walmart are both shit when it comes to toy selection. I, I completely agree with that. I think part of uh, Toys R Us's uh, problem is that they were big box, right? I think they need to. I think they need to to scale back the size to be effective, because yeah. that the the brick and mortar cost has got to be just outrageous for for the amount of square footage that they held. Well, and the one one of the things they had that Target has as well are the exclusives, right? That's something that yeah, uh, but the Target employees get them before you do. You know, and then probably that, the same with, and then they're selling them on eBay. Yeah. yeah, I would say probably the same with Toys R Us because I, as a, uh, I guess past teenager, but around that time frame, I did overnight crew at Toys R Us for through Christmas, and that was the year that Pokemon was insanely popular, and like people couldn't find stuff for their uh, kids, mm-hmm. and yeah, when you'd unbox the stuff, you'd hide it somewhere and. <laughs> Go back in and buy it during the day. Yeah. That that reminds me of when I used to work for uh, an electronics store and you'd get like, you know, three items in of, of the hot electronic item and you just put it at the back of the shelf so that yeah. you could then buy it with your employee discount later in the day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You had to put it out. You had to put it out somewhere. Yeah. But you could hide it on the shelf somewhere as well. Yeah. Toy yeah. secrets revealed on this week's funny books. <laughs> you know, um, this week I went to Target and not to make it a plug, not intentional, um, but on, on our YouTube channel, um, I filmed it uh, because the toys for Aquaman and Into the Spider-Verse are out on shelves now. And I, wa- and I went and checked them out. And, Ooh, uh, and, and I didn't know the Into the Spider-Verse ones are out. Yeah, there's a there is a Spider-Ham Marvel Legends, but I was unable to locate it. Oh, I have the Spider-Ham Marvel Legends. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I, as soon as that one came out, I ran, ran out and bought it. I should have known. And the Aquaman toys are basically, you know, the, the same, you know, line of toys that you are used to from the DC Extended Universe stuff. But, um, you know, this week at uh, New York Comic Con, I'm assuming it was at New York Comic Con, but as of the time of this recording, yesterday they released like a six-minute long preview uh, for Aquaman, the movie. And um, I don't know if you, all of you guys have had a chance to check it out, but yep, what'd you think? Um, Tim, as I, our resident Momoa fan, <laughs> I no, I I love the trailer. I I had zero. Pro- well, okay, I I don't like him in the orange costume. I just d- d- don't <laughs> like. I don't know. I I know you have to do it. And I'm and I'm glad it's probably not going to be for you know too much of the movie. I'm but, sure that's uh, a concluding battle type thing. Yeah, or you know a thing at the end. Yeah, it's I, funny because I, I think he looks badass in that costume. Nah, he that stupid ass costume. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like everything else, I, on board. Like, but I was already on board. So like it doesn't it doesn't like the. You're already on board read, because you're Momoa and we're yeah. comic geeks, but you know they have yeah. they have to sell that film. Um, yeah, to... I haven't watched the trailer yet, but I'm I'm one they have to sell it to because Momoa is the only positive that really I have looking at the movie. It's part of the DC movie universe, which has been horrible uh, thus far. It's an Aquaman movie, which the only Aquaman I really enjoyed was. Uh, the Jeff Johns run of Aquaman. I mean, I'm, and, not a, I'm not a videographer, but like that, uh, the the one scene that was a continuous like scene of them racing across rooftops and stuff. That was all one hot. shot. And yeah. it was ridiculous. Yeah. No, it was that must have been shot. hell. <laughs> yeah. No, look, it looked fantastic. Um, and the movie looks fantastic. And I like how they're kind of mixing their genres, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think that that is super effective uh, in our in our comic book movies where it's not just a straight up superhero, you know, fighting su- a super villain. It's a superhero doing some other stuff. So it looks like there's some Indiana Jones type uh, exploration and adventure in it. 
Um, you've got, you know, some political thriller kinds of stuff going on. And of course, you know, your big screen action. I think it looks fantastic. And of course, uh, Momoa is just super charming uh, in the trailer and funny. And I, I'm, I'm excited for this film. I, I am too. I think it looks fantastic. Um, you know, I, I think it has the right tone. It, so from nearest as I can tell, and going back to Wayne's point about Jeff Johns, nearest as I can tell, it looks like it's based on three Jeff Johns storylines. It looks like it's based on The Trench. Mm-hmm. It's look. It looks like it's based on Throne of Atlantis. And it looks like it's based on the third Aquaman story that Jeff Johns never actually got to complete. Um, that he when he concluded his run, he had like a preview and, he, and it said to be continued in like Rise of the Seven Seas or something like that. And it like never came to fruition and he apparently incorporated that story into the movie. So to me, it feels like there's a lot going on in the movie. I'm mm-hmm. like, there's Orm, there's there's oh, Black this... Manta looks super hot. Yeah, Black Manta God, Black Manta. God. <laughs> yeah. No, Mira looks super hot. I can't yes. stand Mira. I, what? her hair looks her hair looks ridiculous. Oh it's hot. It's hot. She looks it... like she's fourteen years old. <laughs> I, I just <laughs> I could not disagree more, and I never thought I would say this. I, I agree with Paul. It's hot. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I just I, I can't stand the the uh, the crazy red of her hair. It yeah. just it bugs me. More mirror for the rest of us. That's there all. There you go. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm excited about it, and uh, I, I'm I'm hoping it's good. I'm concerned about its release time frame. No one seems to be budging on that release date in December. Um, and, you know, if you're keeping track, I think it comes out December... like 22nd, didn't it? 22nd, which, yeah. you know, for anyone keeping track, that's also the same day as the Mary Poppins movie and all those pre, you know, um, Christmas movies. There's, there's a shit ton of uh, stuff coming out that day. And so it's, it's for me, it's a bit concerning that no one's budged, right? Like, can someone maybe move a movie that way? They're not competing with one another because I, I'm, I'm, I don't have an interest in Mary Poppins, but I feel like on Christmas day, people are going to see that over Aquaman. The person that I meet that says, I can't go see Aquaman, I have to go see Mary Poppins, I will punch for a straight in the face. <laughs> straight out. Speaking of movies, it's interesting how much times have changed when it comes to comic movies. I remember when they first started coming out, pretty much it was a, it's a comic book movie, I'm going to go see it in theaters. There are so many of them now that it's you actually take a look and say, okay, am I going to see this in theaters or not? Huh, like and Venom, like I'm, 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 I'm in no exactly rush to see that I, film. That's yeah, exactly Venom, why I bring it up. Venom's are, a straight up cable movie. Yeah, we are a comic <laughs> podcast, and I don't think any of us are going to see Venom in theaters. I couldn't imagine that back in say the '90s that a comic book movie would come out, and you know, four guys on a comic podcast aren't going to go see it in theaters. Yeah. yeah, well, there's so many of them now that that just happens. You pick and choose now. Well, you know, as as much as I like Ant Man, I didn't catch it in theaters because you know I had too much stuff going on. So I I, I saw Ant Man and the Wasp for the first time last night uh, on uh, digital streaming. Ooh, what did you think, Aaron? I loved it. I you know I didn't like it as much as the first one. I thought the first one was funnier, but I did really enjoy it. I thought that uh, you know again. I think Marvel really demonstrates uh, its bench strength that it can tell a superhero movie where the stakes aren't earth shattering, right? Yeah. Where, you know, you, you've got lower stakes. And that's one of the things I find frustrating about a lot of these comic book movies is that it's always got to be, you know, the world is going to die. The, there is some, you know, swirling energy hole in the sky. And uh, every everybody's going to die. I like that you can do a heist caper. I like that it could be just about saving one person. Um, and it's kind of what I liked about Deadpool too, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, the stakes are smaller, and, and I really dig that. Yeah, I the Ant Man movies are some of my favorite of the Marvel movies, and part of that is the stakes are different. It's a different yeah. style movie. It's they're well, and you they're know, mostly look, heist movies, but. I guess the second one is less heist than the first. 
Well, and here's one of the things I per- that I thought was just so enjoyable about the film is that at the end of the movie, everybody's pretty much friends. You know, I mean, even the, the, the person that they've been fighting the entire movie, pretty much friends at the end of the film. Yeah. And, and I that like, is so unique, <laughs> you know, especially on the second one. I like their villain. You understand where she's coming from and yeah. you get why they end up basically becoming friends with her. No, I, I, you know, you understood her motivation. You understood Bill Foster's motivation uh, and the fact that, you know, once they once the uh, the height of the action takes place and some things are resolved, you understand how they could be helping each other. Uh, I thought it was great. I mean, I even liked, you know, I, I, I again, I liked all I like the antagonists and I like the heroes of the film. Uh, I, I it was a good movie. It's a good movie, and I think that the, it is just exquisitely cast. Loved Michelle Pfeiffer in it. Uh, you know, even though we don't get to see her very much, uh, I liked the tie-in to Infinity War at the end. Yeah. Um. I, I just I think that's a I, I thought Ant Man and the Wasp was really well done. Still like Ant Man better, but uh, I thought it was a really strong film. I think Ant Man and the Wasp had a better villain than Ant Man, and I think that. I might think differently if it wasn't for the fact that uh, basically Ant-Man's villain is kind of the same as the original Iron Man's villain. Mm-hmm. It's basically the same guy. Yeah, same no, personality, so, so, same. Yeah, certainly cut from the same cloth, similar motivations. I, yeah, I get that. I just think Ant-Man had a funnier bite to it uh, than Ant-Man and the Wasp did. And I think part of the problem with Ant-Man and the Wasp is that the funniest moments in that film were in the trailer. And so there's no, you know, a lot of comedy is timing and surprise. And when you uh, remove the surprise piece, you're just like, mm-hmm, yeah, thank you. Yep. So, so the, so the takeaway the takeaway is go see Aquaman. Don't go see Mary Poppins. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and, and before we leave this topic, I want to mention, I, I, I said Aquaman and Mary Poppins. It's also the same day as Bumblebee and the Holmes and Watson movie. So it's going to be a very competitive weekend. I can't wait for Bumblebee. I'm stoked. You know what? I, Bumblebee I looks probably, badass. Yeah. I'm going to see Bumblebee in theaters. I'm going to see I Aquaman first. The, like yeah, legit. I haven't seen the uh, other Transformers in theaters, but Bumblebee has shots of them looking like Gen 1. and It, 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 just, actually, occurred, it just occurred to me that Bumblebee is the Transformers movie, right? It's yeah. not some happy animated film for children. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. No, it's Transformers. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, less Transformers. Transformers without Michael Bay. Yeah. I, uh, I kind of had it in my head. It was some sort of Bugaloos movie. You yeah, know? no. Bugga, it's bugga, Transformers without... The Bugaloos. Transformers without Michael Bay. Bumblebee, it's it set in the 80s. So Bumblebee is a Volkswagen Beetle again. And in one of the scenes in Cybertron, you have a full sound wave ejecting a tape that turns into Ravage. It looks pretty good. Yeah, that's, that's, but Aquaman that's, comes first, uh, regardless. Yeah, it doesn't beat Aquaman. I, 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 my my loyalty is to the King of the Seas. <laughs> well, let's talk about other exciting news. Uh, out of Comic Con, it was announced that Brian Michael Bendis will be launching a new line of comics called Wonder Comics, um, which will be a a line of teen focused in-continuity comic books scheduled to debut in early 2019. Uh, the line is going to be anchored by the return of Impulse, Sup- well, let me give Impulse, Bart Allen, Superboy, Connor Kent, teaming up with Robin, Tim Drake, as the core of the new Young Justice, which Bendis is going to write with art by Action Comics, um, Pat Gleason. Uh, in addition, there will be three additional titles that will be coming from Wonder Comics. Naomi, which is going to be co-written by Brian Bendis and David Walker. Uh, Wonder Twins, written by Mark Russell. And Dial H for Hero, written by Sam Humphreys. Uh, Dial H for Hero is so bad. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess they're they're doing it teen-focused. But if you look at the preview art, you see Connor Kent. You see the Wonder Twins. You see Donna Troy. I'm assuming that's Donna Troy. Um, um, I saw... I don't Cassie. know about Donna Troy, but no. I saw Cassie there. Cassie, that's what I meant. Donna Troy is and, the, uh, older than Cassie. That, that's who I yeah, meant. It was the Cassie that we know and love from the old Young Justice and uh, uh, Teen Titans books, not the New 52 looking one. Yeah. I'm really curious how uh, Connor fits into uh, 
the current continuity. I, I I, I'm, I'd be real curious to see how, how that works out. I'm curious yeah, so how any of them do, right? I mean, I know Bart Allen just came back, but Tim Drake, his character's very different too, you know? Yeah. So here's my fear. This is Bendis. Yeah. Bendis has taken the time to remove Jonathan Kent from the playing field. Uh, he's brought back Lois to uh, the planet, but doesn't seem to have uh, Jonathan with him. So did he just write Jonathan out to make way so he could bring back Connor? Because I like Connor, but I like Jonathan, too. I'm torn. I'm not. Yeah. I'm, well, I'm not sure that Jonathan's complete. I, I think Jonathan is is, you know, off is often in the wings at the moment. Uh, I'm not sure that he's completely off the playing field. But uh, it, it seems weird to have uh, both a Connor Kent and a Jonathan Kent. And what are you going to call Connor if you're calling Jonathan Superboy? Nope. You know, is he going to be super adolescent? You know, <laughs> what is he going to be? Super you know? teen. Yeah. <laughs> super tween. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I hear you. It's I, I'm especially since we don't I, we do know Jonathan's coming back in the pages of one of the books, I think action comics uh, in sometime in the next month or two because of solicits. But, um, you know, I don't know if he's going to be changed, altered. Is he still going to be Superboy? Uh, you know, lots of, lots of outstanding questions, but regardless, the fact that young justice is coming back, which, you know, of course ties into the fact that they have a new um, season coming out on that DC universe thing. Um, I'm excited about the book and, and it says in continuity, it doesn't necessarily mean in current continuity. Maybe he's writing a book that's set in the, in the past. I don't know. Well, I want, or, or in the future, cause we've seen Connor in the future, right? True. Uh, I wonder if this is rolling out from uh doomsday clock. It's possible. You know, if something happens in doomsday clock that brings us uh, that character, and, I'm, you know, just curious about that. I don't well, know if, if, if so, we'll find out, you know, in 2020. Yeah. If it wasn't for the last issue, I would have said you could have just stopped that. I wonder if something happens in Doomsday Clock. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. But I don't know if you saw the preview art for Doomsday Clock that they put out um, from Comic-Con, but uh, they, they the Justice Society um, is is looking like uh, it plays heavily into the second half of the, the book, which, I mean, we kind of expected, but the preview art confirms it. Well, Aaron. Sir. This week, I I, I, I expressed much excitement in a, a conversation with you offline about Wonder Woman and Justice League Dark, The Witching Hour, which is a five-part weekly event spinning out of the events of last week's Justice League Dark book, where Wonder Woman um, came out of it, uh, I guess, with, a, a what do they call them? The Witch's Mark or something like that. Um, and she, it, it Hakate? Uh-huh, yeah. Um, you know, as a as a child marked her and it's now coming back to to haunt her um, as Hakate tries to make her move on the world of man and so this is a five-part series crossing over between Wonder Woman and Justice League Dark it ends on Halloween day oh um, nice so you know it, it's all within the next month so what did you think of the witching hour number one I think that this book was better than the previous issue of Justice League Dark um and I liked the previous issue of Justice League Dark. Uh, it was super creepy, but I felt like uh, this had – it was like the, the previous issue of Justice League Dark was a cold open to this book. Yeah. Uh, I think that I think that previous issue was necessary to kind of set the table, but I thought this was super cool. I love that you know uh, Wonder Woman and Zatanna and the rest of the JLD folks go and brief the Justice League – and, you know, everyone in the Justice League has freaked the F out. I mean, Flash is like wanting to step away from the table when he sees the Upside Down Man because the Upside Down Man's super creepy. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it just and Flash is just wildly unsettled. And I like to see that. I like to see that our heroes are human and our uh, heroes have to face their fears. And then, of course, you know, uh, Hakati shows up and wipes the memories of the Justice League. So they have completely forgotten that they have been briefed by Wonder Woman and that these horrible things are happening around them. Uh, there is a wonderful scene where uh, Hakate is attacking uh, the Justice League Dark 
And Detective Chimp is trying to call the Justice League in, you know, Superman, Batman, Aquaman, those guys. And, you know, they can't hear him because, you know, of the spell that Hakate has, uh, has, uh, you know, placed on them. And, you know, they're just sitting there, you know, talking about mundane business. Well, Ted Cord's complaining about monitor duty again and blah, 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 blah. Meanwhile, Detective Chimp is screaming, you know, help us, help us. And they can't hear him. I think that's just chilling. Yeah. You know, it's it's like that dream you have uh, where you're screaming, but you can't get a sound out. You know, I mean, it's it, I, I, I found this book very visceral in, you know, how long the terror went back and the scope of her powers. There's a, a terrific scene. You know, we saw in Justice League Dark that Wonder Woman had been branded uh, by the followers of Hakate, and you know that, and this is where we learn that Hakate has buried her power in Wonder Woman's head to to later uh, take at to take at a later time, and she did she did it when Diana was was a was a little girl. Well, in this issue, we see that she runs to Hippolyta, her mother, and, and you know, it's just like, I, I, I was watching one of the, you know, uh, you know, secret witch rites, and this thing happened, and so Hippolyta brings in the worshippers, and they, uh, you know, oh no, we 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 saw the girl asleep in a tree, and we just brought her home. You know, she just had a nightmare, yada, yada. And Hippolyta's like, oh, that makes sense. Are you satisfied with that, Diana? Yes, mother, I'm satisfied. And Diana goes off, uh, goes back to her room. And then Hippolyta draws her sword and she's like, what the fuck did you do to my daughter? And then Hakate appears and wipes her mind. And I'm just like, man, this is really cool. I mean, I just I love the long game in this and that they have made it fit inside, made it fit uh, really well and Diana's backstory. I, I really dug this book. And the art by Jesus Marino is on point. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it is just gorgeous artwork. Uh, I, I'm, I'm enjoying it from top to bottom. It's good stuff. As much as I liked the first three issues of Justice League Dark, I think it was uh-huh. three, right? Because I think yeah. the third one led into this. I felt like the extra pages in this book allowed it room to breathe. Yeah, it's what, like 37 pages? Yeah, and and yeah. because of that, we had just a bit more exposition to help with the flow of the story. Um, and, and to your point, it, 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 for me, was more effective. I mean, it's the same writer. It's yeah. different, different artists, but same writer. Um, but the, this book is just fantastic. The, the, the scene at the Oblivion Bar... When, uh-huh. when they escape to the Oblivion Bar and basically all that's left are bloody corpses all over the place. Uh, bloody burned corpses. Yeah. yeah. The the What happens in the Oblivion Bar just kind of broke my heart. Yeah. I mean, because I really loved that scene. You had all these, you know, all these witches of different shapes and sizes and ages, you know, all hanging out together. And, you know, it 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 was a neat scene. And then, you know, Hakate happens and you're like, oh, shit. And I mean, the we see another I can't uh, I can't remember her name, Paul. Do you remember her name? Mm. Like Witchfire or something like that? Yeah, something like that. Uh, She she is suddenly remembering what Diana's remembers that at a young age she had been branded by Hakate's followers. And, you know, she she as she's making her transformation, she in a very panicked voice turns to the rest of the women there and says, run for God's sake, run. And then she destroys everybody there. Uh, I, I, just, I thought it was a, a great scene. And again, the tension is so well drawn um, I, 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 I cannot express enough what a strong visual storyteller Jesus Marino is. Uh, it, it is, it is really well done. It's very, you know, it, it, if you were talking about it in film, it is brilliantly directed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, I, 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 I felt this book, uh, you know, I, I felt the stakes. I, I liked the characters on the page. They did a great job of making me care about these characters that I hadn't heard of before. You know, that as they're introducing all these characters that they then subsequently set on fire, <laughs> yeah. you know, you really felt for those. I, I thought the, the Oblivion Bar scene was great. Yeah, I, I highly recommend this book. I I was dubious when Paul said, hey, you know, grab the witching hour. I mean, ah, man, another one of these crappy Paul books. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I know it would be Spaceman again. Exactly. <laughs> uh, no, but it was great. It was great. It was a strong recommendation from Brother Paul. Which just shows to go even a broken clock is right twice a day. Yeah, or at least once a year. 
<laughs> well, you know, continuing talking about DC books also this week was was kind of another almost crossover in that one book very much has to do with the other. Um, it, two weeks ago, we read Batman number 55, which featured uh, Batman and Nightwing, you know, kind of Nightwing working really hard to get Batman over his his uh, breakup with Selina Kyle. And uh, at the end of that issue, full page spread of Nightwing getting shot in the head by the KG Beast. And so in Batman number 56, we don't actually see what happens to Nightwing, but we, we see how it has taken its toll on Batman and his pursuit across the world of KG Beast. And so Aaron, Wayne, you guys, well, no, just actually this might was just you and me, Aaron. No one read this yes, book? Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, I didn't just, read it. Just yeah. you, just you and I, just Paul and I. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, uh, you know, so this book, I don't know how you felt about it. Uh, my favorite scene was the one with Canto, because you know, new gods. But yeah, uh, yeah that what, that Canto scene was pretty hot. But what did you think of this book? Again, it's another strong book from Tom King on on Batman. Uh, I was not. I was not in a mindset to enjoy this book because it seemed like there was a whole lot of we're not going to tell you about what happened to, to uh, Dick Grayson, yeah. which I, I found a little frustrating. Um, but I did really enjoy, you know, they're, they're, it is made very abundantly clear in the few short panels that address it that there's nothing that Batman can do for Dick Grayson, right? Uh, we don't know what his condition is in this book. But it appears that there's nothing that he can do for for uh, Nightwing. So he's going to do the thing he can do, go kick a bad guy's ass. And, uh, you know, so he is hunting down KG Beast, who has done a remarkable job of making sure that there's nobody living who can tell them, can tell someone where he is or how to find him. And, uh, you know, Batman is is not one to be uh, put off. So he he is doing the impossible He's finding KG Beast. And I just love all these hurdles he's got to go through and how how he 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 beats it, you know, uh, as only Batman can. Uh, and so the scene between, you know, Kanto from Apocalypse is just terrific, you know. And, yeah, he you know, Batman's not powerful enough to beat a, a, a new god, but he is smart enough to get over on him. And I just I, I thoroughly dug that scene. And I enjoyed the scenes between KG Beast and his dad. I, I thought too. that I thought those were all really well done. Um, I thought that the art was was really interesting. The way Superman is drawn, he's drawn a little gangly in this book. Batman, you mean? Yeah, yeah sorry. Yeah, what did I say? Superman. Yeah, Batman is drawn really gangly in this book in certain in certain pages, like where he's trudging through the snow, where it looks like he's almost lost weight uh, on this hunt that he's on. Uh, I just I thought there were some really interesting art choices. There's also sort sort of some uh, Norm Brayfogle moments in the uh, in the the workings of Batman's cape in yeah. certain of those pages, and and I know that's just you know a coincidence because uh, this book was drawn long before Norm passed away. But I, I thought it was it was a really interesting book, both uh, visually and in the narrative. You know, you mentioned the gangly. I did do the preview pages of it. Mm-hmm. And I noticed Batman hasn't shaved, and I thought in the art that's one of the things that jumped out at me is it, it kind of looked like he had lost weight. Like the costume seemed a little big for him. And it depends yeah, but, on the page, but he, he, certainly it, it seems like Batman is is having a tough time. Right. Um, you know, one of the things that this book called into question for me is, and maybe it's just me, but and. I've, I've said this before that I have faith in Tom King, but like how much does Batman need to be put through? Like, you know, he just had this, you know, he's going through the depression of Selena Kyle leaving him. And then like immediately after Nightwing, this thing with Nightwing, like it just feels like we are adding more and more and more. And maybe that's the point, you know, keep tearing down the hero so that it's more triumphant when he comes back. But, you know, for me, it's like we're just compounding tragedy upon tragedy upon tragedy upon tragedy um one after another um so i don't know i like for me it i i, I question at what point are, are is 
are things going to turn around? But maybe that's the point, right? They want me to wonder, like, when are things going to get better for this guy? Right. Well, since we're talking about it, you do see what happened to Nightwing. And despite what's on the cover uh, of Nightwing number 50, no, the scar on his head is not in the shape of the Nightwing symbol. It is <laughs> metaphorical. Uh, um, uh, uh, so this is uh, once he was Nightwing. Now all you know about him changes. Uh, ben Percy uh, wrote this book. Uh, a couple of different artists shared the duties between um, flashback and modern times, even though at some point they actually change that towards the end of the book, which I found rather confusing uh-huh. when the modern stuff is drawn by the same guy who was previously drawing the flashback stuff. And I was like, wait, what? Hold on. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was hard to know where you were. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, well, you know, Wayne, you picked up Nightwing number 50. I, I don't believe you pick up Nightwing on the regular. No, it's, he's one of my favorite characters. I just haven't liked what they've done with him in a while. Oh, and I'm sure Uh, you love this. Yeah, I, I hated this. (laughs) Uh, it's not that the story is particularly badly told. I didn't have any problem with the art. I just don't like what they've done with the character. Uh, Nightwing doesn't. He misses huge parts of his past, but he doesn't, it's not the same character. And it's intentional that it's not the same character because he has all of this brain damage, but he doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know why he is. He has all of these resources available that he just turns down. And it's like, I don't know who this guy is. Barbara shows up and tries to reach out to him and he has no memory of her. And yeah, I did not enjoy it at all. I did like the flashback story some. And like I said, it's not that it's a badly told story. It's just I wanted to see what they had done to Nightwing. And what they did is they've made him a brand new character who is not Nightwing, doesn't you know wear the costume, doesn't do the super heroics, and burns down all of the his previous base with all of his previous costumes. Yeah, you know, and Aaron, I'll let you go here in a second because... I found this book a bit ridiculous in that, one, first and foremost, Nightwing is wearing a hoodie, only zipped up halfway, showing his bare, hairy chest. And I'm like, it's 2018. That's not a thing. No one does that. Um, Uh, I totally do that. Oh, okay. Um, But I don't understand how getting shot in the head and having gaps in your memory turns you into just a complete raging asshole. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, it doesn't make sense because he, as far as I know, he, he still remembers his childhood. He was never a jerk. Like, wh- what made him turn into a jerk? And it just seems like it's just to serve the story to make him dark and gritty. And, and, and my third and most major issue is I know this is Nightwing number 50. Uh, you know, and it feels like 50 issues is a lot, but you know, as a bi weekly book, it's only been about two years. This we, has been bi weekly, yeah. Wow, didn't know that. Uh, but we just got Nightwing back because before yeah. that, he was you know, super spy Grayson, right? So yeah. it just seems like why do we need to keep changing him, <laughs> you know? Well, and they had something in the uh, a recent Batgirl issue because I occasionally pick up Batgirl like for specific storylines or if there's a crossover with Nightwing. Because I like those two characters together. And Dick and Barbara kind of came back together right before this. And now he has no memory of it. And I said they didn't have any complaints about the art. But did we really need to see Nightwing and Whitey Tidies? Well, and tidy I, I got I to gotta say, apparently, when you get a head wound, you lose all sense of style. I cannot believe that even on his worst day, Dick Grayson is a tidy whiteys guy. No. You know, yeah, no. and, so, and so apparently that's what the head wound did to him is that it made him a straight up, you know, white briefs guy. <laughs> um, and and I can't I... believe any version of him would just break into people's houses while they're out of town to sleep in when he has all of these places he could go. Well, I actually that didn't bother me, uh, you know, that that he is, you know, essentially uh, you know, breaking and entering and, you know, staying in, in wealthy people's homes while they're away. Um, what I did object to is, you know, he's trying to, you know, it's like, Hey, somebody broke in and then compensated us for the mess, but he left them $11 for all of that mess. I'm sorry. He has not fairly compensated them 
for uh, room and board. I mean, Nightwing thinks he's done a gracious thing. Hey, I broke into your house. Here's 11 bucks. Sorry for the mess. No, he lived like an animal, left a horrible mess, violated their sense of security and left them $11, which is a little bit like shitting on their table. Uh, I I just I I, I thought that was a terrible thing. So uh, but before I, I talk about the book itself, can I just say that the way the comic press covered this this week was super annoying um, I appreciate that we all enjoy our puns. We certainly enjoyed it when we talked about uh, the uh, the the Batman issue where he got shot, and you know we talked about uh, Dick Tracy, you know Dick Grayson, and talked about how this is all the Dick you need. So you know, yeah, we got our joke in too. But articles all week long had uh, Nightwing is now Dickless, you know, uh, you know, and not only spoiling. Uh, not only you know scoring a hit on the pun, but also spoiling the 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 what happens in the book by uh, by by simply using the the uh, the subject header, the title of the article. That was super frustrating. That you can't navigate spoilers. Uh, you know you you can't avoid being spoilers just by by looking at your news search. That is super irritating and irresponsible, in my opinion. And let's face it, when we did all the dick jokes, we were funny. <laughs> they weren't well, true, and we weren't I, spoiling things because you know it is like Nightwing. Night, it is Nightwing loses his dick this week, yeah. you know, and it's like come on, like I, yeah, we can be twelve years old, and I know we did, and we had fun with it, but also we're kind of <laughs> we're a podcast. We might we 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 don't hide the fact that we're explicit. If you are a news source, it come on, be grow yeah. up. But, you know, the book itself, I, I can respect that uh, Richard Grayson is having a crisis and that even though he has all of the assets and resources that he could ever want, that he's choosing to be homeless right now. You know, there's a comment that he's living in his cab and when he's not living in his ca- cab, he is uh, squatting in somebody's home. Um, I, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that the, you know, torment that this is putting on the bat family especially to barbara you know that you know barbara has essentially lost her best friend uh and you know can't can't seem to to reconnect with him i appreciate all that and if that was just it i i I would be able to embrace this book but it had it has leaned so far into you know Dick Grayson was a really nice guy. He was the nice guy in the Batman family. And now he is a really big jackass. And that's just and while that may be a valid way to tell this story, it's just not something I'm interested in reading. So I won't be picking up issue 51. Yeah, I'm out as well. Oh, well. Well, let me tell you something. Um, It's it's very rare that Wayne and I um, are in sync when it comes to comic books. Wayne. Obviously, a big Superman fan. I'm a Batman fan. When when we created Knights Rainsboro, Wayne made Ricochet and I made the Coyote. Like there are very diametrically opposed viewpoints most of the time when it comes to comic books. But there's one thing that we ha- we share, and it's a love for really bad '90s superheroes. Yes. And I, this week, Infinity Wars, which I don't know about and I really don't care, gave me one good thing. And it was the return of Sleepwalker. So Wayne, I, I I'd like to hear what you have to say about this first because I like you could put this on a you could put Sleepwalker on a, a 7-Eleven cup and I would drive drive <laughs> to the 7-Eleven and get it. Like so. I'm I'm the same way. I have I have all of the physical copies still in together of the original Sleepwalker run. Uh, yeah, huge fan of the character. I absolutely love the book. I felt like the character, like some of the times when they do these, uh, bring back the 90s characters and give them a full storyline, it doesn't feel right. But this felt like a continuation for the human version, Rick Sheridan at least. Uh, I love his take. So the story starts off with he's making a documentary about the heroes in the shadows, the B and C level heroes that are not the Avengers. And, you know, then something big happens and he has to go try to sleep because the uh, for anyone that doesn't know the character, Sleepwalker only comes out when he's asleep. 
So apparently he has uh, taken advice from Doctor Strange and learned to meditate to let Sleepwalker out. And I said it really felt like Tim. I don't I haven't been following all of the Infinity stuff. I don't know everything going on, but apparently Earth has been merged and combined into the Soul Gym. And Sleepwalker is just trying to get back to save Rick, if nothing else. So you see all of these weird merged characters, but Sleepwalker is not merged. He's safe and he's himself. And that makes me so happy. <laughs> so the, the first thing I want to I want to talk about is the artwork. The artwork reminds me very much of 1990s New Warriors. It, it's the artwork harkens back to that same time period that this character is from. And I. I loved it. I love the addition of there's a lot of uh, like purplish pink mist that's going on. That is, I I don't remember from the original series, but is so perfect for this character. Like, like when, when he uh, puts Rick to sleep, his hand touches his head and then it's just pink mist as he's like leaning over him. It's, it's really cool. Yeah. Um, I don't remember ever seeing him emerge quite like he does here. But I liked it. Oh yeah, no, I had I had zero problems. I liked I I, I liked Sleepwalker's basic Council of Ricks. That was <laughs> that was pretty good. It's like when you find out that uh, he's basically a Judge Dread, you know, and uh, yeah, and even you know, as as it took it took me a while a while to figure this out, but. Uh, when he found little monster, I'm like, that is so ridiculous and scary all at the same time. <laughs> like if you took the power of the Hulk and put it in the atom <laughs> or put it in Ant-Man, I'm like, oh, no. Like, that and uh, Man-Thing Thume. Man-Thing Thume was pretty interesting, too. Yeah. So you're you're seeing some of the some of the, uh, it looks like you're seeing some of the mergings for uh, what's happening in Infinity Wars as he's like walking through. The, the dreamscape to, f- to find somebody to help him. Um, yeah, I, 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 I gotta be honest. It, it wouldn't, it wouldn't take a whole lot of story for me to be excited about sleepwalker, but I honestly think even if I put that aside, this, this is a pretty good book. So I definitely, I'm definitely going to continue getting sleepwalker until infinity wars is over. That is a uh, for certain. Yeah, I enjoyed the Darkhawk lead into Infinity Wars. And uh, when that when the Darkhawk lead in ended with Sleepwalker popping up looking for him, I I couldn't have been more excited. Those are two of my favorite 90s characters that just aren't around anymore. Mm-hmm. I, and I agree. And I, I think the only reason I didn't pick up Darkhawk is is that I knew this one was coming. So so good book. Uh, would recommend it if you were like Wayne and I. Uh, I I don't know if anybody like if you're already reading Infinity Wars, you might get something out of this. But uh, if not, and you're you're not a '90s hero fan, I'm not sure there's there's something here for you. All right. Well, Tim, you you've been reading a book that I've been really curious about and thinking about picking up, and it's the Mister and Mrs. X. Yeah. So Mister and Mrs. X is a a book that kind of spawned out of the uh, Colossus Kitty Pride wedding that that apparently didn't happen. Spoiler. Um, and what ended up happening is because apparently they already hired, they already had a cake, and they already had they had a pastor, so somebody had to get married. So what happened is um, Gambit and Rogue decided to tie the knot at the uh, sh- the wedding that didn't happen. And this is their honeymoon um, storyline. Yeah, and it was such a interesting way for them to have gotten married. The Kitty Pride was she calls off the wedding because of all of the on again off again with Colossus, and for Rogue, that's the strength of her relationship with Gambit. That no matter what, they always find their way back to each other. And even in the wedding vows, that's that's her vow is. You know, no matter what, I will always find my way back to you. And I thought it was just really touching. It made me think this is going to be a good book. This this is this has been a, a good book. Um, it, you so what you what you're doing is you're condensing the the thing I, the 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 X universe into two two to three characters basically, um, which is one of the things the X Men really need is because there's, there's just too many of them. There's too many books. 
But for me, I, I've read X-Men in the 80s and 90s. I, I, I have all that history. I have all that background. I know who these characters are. It, I just can't get into it when there's so much of it. And so when you condense it, it's it's very readable. It just gives you everything that you like about X-Men. Um, the the, the, the X-Men, uh, Mr. and Mrs. X3 specifically is dealing with um, the, the Shi'ar. And um, without spoiling it too much, um, basically their honeymoon gets uh, shanghaied by the Shi'ar and Deadpool. <laughs> and it's it's a lot of fun. Um, just the comments between Deadpool and, and Gambit, because apparently Deadpool and Rogue were kissed or something. So there's a whole lot of uh, kind of uh, back and forth banter about being Eskimo brothers or something, <laughs> something like that. Um, the artwork uh, is is very solid. Um, I'd say it's a little it, it's, uh, it's 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 kind of style like it's clean. Um, it's not it's not too uh, derivative or anything like that. And yeah, I gotta say I got a kick out of seeing all of these these Shi'ar characters like Gladiator and uh, Cerise and Nightshade and stuff like that. So um, if you're like me and you like X Men, but you just you you're you're intimidated by the the amount of books and having to worry about getting them all tied in, which is one of the things that I, that really scares me about X-Men is when they do the crossover, you have to get eight books. Um, this is perfect. So I would, I would recommend this book. So Paul. Yes, sir. What books are coming out next week that we might recommend? Well, uh, you know, we talked about Batman white Knight pretty extensively on the show and the trade paperback is coming out next week. Uh, for Batman White Knight. And speaking of trade paperbacks, there uh, is a DC Essential Edition of Justice League, The Dark Side War, from Jeff Johns, Jason Fabach, Fabach, excuse me, and Francis Manipal, which very much ties into things that um, are playing out right now in Doomsday Clock, as well as will be playing out in the upcoming Jeff Johns, Jason Fabach, Three Jokers story. Uh, so, uh, and we... we enjoyed that storyline when it came out a couple years back so if you haven't checked it out trade paperback essential edition all of the issues coming out next week uh and fine well and as far as far as trade paperbacks wonder woman earth one volume two uh is due out next week i never actually read the first one from grant morrison and yannick Paquette. uh aaron i think you read it and enjoyed it right yeah it was all right it's all right it's all right i yeah it's all right yeah. Um, and also from DC Comics, Wonder Woman number 56, continuing the story of the witching hour, uh, comes out from Marvel Comics, Spider Geddon, number one of five, the revenge of the spider verse. Uh, so Dan Slott and Christos Gage team up to tell another story set amongst the spider verse. Um, so that comes out next week as well. And finally, Albert Einstein Time Mason uh, comes out from Action Lab Comics. Seems kind of interesting. I may check it out. Yeah, I'll look at the preview pages and see what the art's like. Well, excellent. All that and more next week right here on Funny Books with Aaron Polly, Tim, and Wayne. Uh, give us a call. Let us know what you think of this week's book and our reviews. Uh, 972-763-5903. That number, once again, 972-763-5903. And if we use your voicemail on the show, well, you know the drill. You'll get something. <laughs> you can also leave us a comment on Twitter at Ideology Madness, Instagram, IOM Geek, or Facebook, IOM Geek. Huzzah! <laughs> Catch you next time. Bye, everybody. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.